This evening, we're looking at the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through to verse 30. I think we really need a bit of background because it builds up. One thing leads to another in these chapters here, especially chapter 24 and 25. In chapter 24, the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking about his second coming and the certainty of it. Let's have a look at verses 36 to 42 in chapter 24. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, and not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. My thoughts on the days of Noah, and I think this would probably be the case with most, if not all of us, if if we've read anything about Noah in the Old Testament, specifically chapter 6 in Genesis, what I think about is the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. That always gets me that. It's not that every thought of his heart was evil continuously. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continuously. It just goes to show how thoroughly evil the human heart was in the days of Noah and still is. And the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. That's what we can read in in Genesis chapter 6. However, what I've just read to you from Matthew chapter 24 didn't address the um, the thoughts of the, the the thoughts in men's hearts, or the rather the imaginations of the thoughts of the heart, or the violence in the earth. Jesus said nothing of that. He didn't address them at all. Instead, the focus was on people simply getting on with their lives and doing their work, getting on with life right up until Jesus returns in judgment, like a thief in the night and without giving advance notice. And when that happens, there will be a separation of people. We saw that, didn't we? With the damned being cast into the lake of fire, whilst the blessed receive their heavenly inheritance. There'll be that separation. Last week, we looked at the parable of the virgins, which is is recorded in chapter 25, verses 1 through to 13. That parable is about five wise virgins and five foolish virgins who went out to meet the bridegroom. We're told in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 25, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. 
but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. When finally the bridegroom arrived in the dead of night, the wise virgins, they were ready to go to the marriage with the bridegroom, whilst the foolish virgins, they had to go out shopping, they had to find somewhere to get some oil for their lamps, because they didn't have the oil. When finally the foolish virgins came back and they they arrived at the marriage, they said, Lord, Lord, open to us, and the bridegroom said to them, I know you not. As such, that parable is about being fully prepared for when Jesus finally comes again. So, earlier on in chapter 24, it's about Jesus coming, like a thief in the night, and that separation of people. Then the parable of the virgins is about being prepared, fully prepared when Jesus does come. Not so much having oil in your lamps. We looked at what it means to have oil in your lamps. That means, um, to, how is, how can anyone be fully prepared for when Jesus returns again? You have to be believing in Him, trusting in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Oil in your lamp, having the Holy Spirit and having all salvation blessings. Indeed, every spiritual blessing from in heavenly places in Christ Jesus through faith in his um, work of redemption. How else can anyone be ready? And not only will you be prepared then, you will be fully prepared by if you are truly trusting in Christ. Whether he comes again or whether you die today, before Jesus comes, either way, the only way you can be prepared and to meet your maker is if you are Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming now to the parable of the talents. Look at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 25. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man travelling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one to every man according to his several ability, and straight away took his journey. Verse 14, it starts with that word for, and that means that the parable follows on from the previous one, the parable of the virgins, the parable about being ready when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And so we look up to that parable again, And what we see in the last verse of that parable of the virgins is watch therefore for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And as we are going to see in the parable of the talents, Jesus, he builds upon the previous parable. It's not only about being prepared when Jesus returns, it's what do you do in the meantime? What if Jesus doesn't come for, I don't know, another 10 years or whatever? What are you going to do in the meantime? Obviously, we have to be doing something. And the parable of the talents, it addresses that something that we do in the meantime as people who are fully prepared for his coming. Our spiritual suitcase packed, ready to go home to glory. But what do we do in the meantime? 
the men, the, the man's servants who received from him five talents, two talents, and one talent respectively in this uh, parable. Let's be very clear about something. They were not hired hands. They were not employees with employees' rights, um, pension, and paid holidays, and sick leave, and all the rest of it. They were slaves. I suppose we might have a problem with the idea of reading about slaves in the Bible, but where we read servants here, that means they were slaves. We have problems maybe with the, with slaves because we tend to think of black Africans in chains and, and dehumanized, or perhaps the ancient Israelites in Egypt who were forced to make the same number of bricks for their building work, even though they were no longer given the straw to make the bricks. They had to go out and they had to find the straw for themselves. Or we might think in terms of sex slaves in our present day and age, all of which are thoroughly repugnant. But in the parable that we're looking at today, the, 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 a man who's going off into a far country, he has three slaves and he gives them talents. One he gives five talents, another one two talents, another one one talent. It's important to appreciate that the slaves in this parable were not afflicted by their master. Rather, their master entrusted them with those talents which were vast sums of money, huge amounts of money. To give you some idea how vast or how much that money was, one of the commentators has estimated that it would have taken an ordinary labourer 20 years to earn just one talent. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't really know. Suffice to say that the slave who was entrusted with five talents received from his master millions of pounds in today's money. We're talking about a lot of money entrusted to those three slaves by their master, whether it was five talents, two talents, or even one talent. And there was no favouritism being shown by the master, even though he gave different sums of money to the three slaves. Rather, by wisely giving to each of them according to their abilities, what does that tell us? It certainly tells me that the master knew his slaves. He knew them, and he not only knew them, he knew what they were capable of doing. He knew their abilities, and he gave them accordingly. We can look at verses 16 through to 18. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his master's, his Lord's money. In these verses, we can see what the slaves did with the money that had been entrusted to them by their master. Rising to the challenge and the great responsibility that was placed upon them, the two who had received five talents and two talents put their master's money to work and they doubled what they had received from him. Whereas the slave who had received 
One talent simply, simply hid the talent in the ground. Hiding valuables in the ground isn't such a, a silly thing. Certainly not in Bible times anyway. It wasn't that unusual. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, Jesus told a parable about the kingdom of heaven being like treasure hidden in a field. It's generally quite safe to hide valuables in the earth. Unless, of course, someone sees you doing it, digging a big hole and putting talents or whatever else you've got into the hole. Or else, perhaps it's not a good idea if someone comes along with a metal detector and finds that money that you've hidden. However, the talent was never going to double in value or increase at all. Buried in the ground, and that's for sure. Let's have a look at verses 19 through to 23. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. In these verses, the master has finally returned and it is the day of reckoning for those three slaves. They would now have to give an account of what they'd done with that money that had been entrusted to them. You'll notice that what the two slaves who received five talents and two talents said was almost identical. And so too was the response of their master to each of them more or less identical. What can be seen in these verses is both were keen to report back to their master how they had doubled what he had entrusted to them. Even though they were slaves, I think it's fair to say they clearly respected their master and it meant a lot to them to be given so much responsibility in his service. I don't think it's reading too much into the passage to say that those two slaves were probably beaming from ear to ear as they vindicated their master's decision to entrust so much money to them. As they informed him about the 100% profit that they had gained for him, they gave him the credit for, uh, for giving them so much money in the first place. Let's have a look at that again there. Verse 20, And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. So they're giving the the master the credit for giving them, entrusting them with that money in the first place. Also the way that they both said, Behold, 
I have gained beside them five talents or two talents, depending on which uh, slave it is. I don't know, it may sound like a boast to you. It, to me, it seems to indicate not so much of boastfulness, but rather an amazement at what they'd accomplished. They probably didn't imagine for one moment that they were going to double what their master had, had entrusted to them. And quite rightly, they would have been very pleased and to, to report back to him. As for what their master said to them, the praise that he heaped on them must have been music to their ears. Had he just said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that would have been very kind. After all, they were just slaves and it was their master's money to begin with and it was their master's money at the end of it all. Profit and all, it was all their masters and they were just slaves at the end of the day. But it didn't stop there. Their master graciously rewarded them with even greater responsibilities to come. And most of all, he said to them, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I would say that hearing those words from their master, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord, probably meant more to them than anything else. When it comes to the third slave, the one who, having received one talent, simply buried it in the ground, the story is very different. Look at verses 23 to 27. Again, his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Sorry, verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine he too had come and to, to give an account I don't imagine for one moment that he wanted to come and give an account but he didn't have any choice did he he was after all a slave like the other two he had to give an account there was no question of him staying away and look at what he a mere slave said to his master Lord I knew thee that thou art a hard man we've just we've just seen the opposite to be true haven't we that he is in fact a very thoughtful and kind man who only gives what the recipients are able to handle and that he is a man who rewards faithful service it's more a case of that slave making excuses for being precisely what his master said he was wicked and slothful or lazy We can clearly see from the other two slaves that the master is not a hard man. He showed that that third slave, he showed his wickedness by wrongly accusing his master of being a hard man. And the fact that he simply buried his talent in the ground goes to show just how lazy he was. Especially when you consider his accusation that his master was a hard man. Surely that was all the more reason for him to do something. 
If he really did think his master was a hard man, what on earth was he doing just burying that talent in the ground? He should have at the very least deposited that talent in uh, in the bank in order to earn, earn a little bit of interest. But he was too lazy to even do that. He said to his master, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. But the truth of the matter is, he did not know his master at all. Let's have a look at verses 28 and 29. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which have ten talents. For unto everyone that have shall be given and he shall have abundance. But from him that have not shall be taken away even that which he have. We see that the one talent was taken from the wicked and slothful slave and given to the one who was best able to put that talent to use. Again, we can see great wisdom from the master. It's not for nothing that he was the master and a very wealthy master at that. Let's have a look at verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In this verse, the figurative language of the parable is dropped. And we can now see the outcome for all professing Christians who are judged by the Lord Jesus Christ to be wicked and slothful servants at his second coming. Outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, awaits those professing Christians who are shown to be wicked and lazy servants. There's no prize for guessing that the man who travelled into a far country represents the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who having paid the price for sin, is now highly exalted and seated at the right hand of his Father, in heavenly glory. In the first instance, the slaves represent those in Christian service, such as church ministers like myself and evangelists, but ultimately they represent all professing Christians. If you belong to Jesus, then he is not simply your boss, or he is not simply your friend. We sung earlier, what a friend we have in Jesus, and Praise God for that. Jesus is a friend. He's the best friend you could ever have, isn't he? A wonderful friend. But he's more than that. If you belong to Jesus, he is your master and he owns you. As the Apostle Paul said, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You are not your own. That's slave talk, isn't it? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you're a Christian, you belong to God. Ultimately, obviously, everything belongs to God. But you as a Christian have been purchased It cost the Lord Jesus Christ his blood, his life at the cross. And in Matthew chapter 11 verse 29, Jesus said, 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. How wonderful it is to belong to Jesus and to have his yoke upon you. It means that wherever Jesus goes, you go. You probably, I don't know, I've seen it in India. I've seen um, oxen yoked together. And obviously where one, one, where one of them goes, the other one goes because they're yoked together. That's how it is if you have the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ upon you. Isn't that wonderful? I find that tremendously comforting to think that I have the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ upon me. It, that means real freedom. Belonging to Jesus and being bound to him. As for what the talents represent, well, they are given by Jesus. They can either be put to work and multiplied by the recipients or not used at all. Think about the parable here. If you think, well, this is salvation, it can't be. The talents can't be salvation because if you're saved, you're saved. If you are truly saved, praise God for that. Once saved, always saved. Never forget that. So it's not salvation, it's not the, the graces um, of God the, uh, in salvation. The forgiveness of sins, if God has forgiven you, he's forgiven you. If Jesus has died for your sins on the cross, he has died for your sins on the cross. If you're born again, truly born again, well you are truly born again. And so on. So what are these talents? That they can be taken from one person... From one professing Christian who shows himself to be wicked and lazy and given to someone else. Clearly that's not salvation from sin. That's not transferable. It must rule out God's salvation gifts such as repentance, faith, everlasting life. Because if by the grace of God you have received those things, they, as I say, are not transferable. They are yours as a gift from God forevermore. Again, what are those talents? The talents represent the opportunities for kingdom service that are given by Jesus to church ministers, to evangelists, Others who are called to reach sinners with the gospel of Christ and to feed the saints with the word of God. The prophet might be seen in terms of souls being saved. Think about it. If you're a Christian and you're, you're, it doesn't just have to be me as the pastor here or an evangelist. If you as a Christian, you are reaching people with the gospel and they are being saved by the grace of God through your outreach. There's a return there, isn't there? There is a return. The return is a soul that has been saved by grace, born again and uh, and living for the glory of God. And you have been instrumental in that. And to God be the glory. Or feeding Christians with the word of God. Again, obviously that would be me. That's uh, something I do as a pastor. I feed the sheep. And, I, uh, and my prayer is that the sheep would be um, be fed uh, a good diet and that they would be built up in their most holy Christian faith through feeding on the word of God. 
Again, that's for the glory of God. Christians who are being fed, well fed with the word of God, it's a positive thing in the church. And we can all have a part to play in that. And just looking at at you dear folk in here tonight, that we have the Sunday school work, we have parents uh, and people, not just ministers, Christians generally, they have a work to do when it comes to um, reaching others with the word of God, reaching sinners with the word of God and feeding the saints with the word of God. All for the glory of God. Also, more broadly, the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives opportunities to all who belong to them, to him. He gives them the abilities as well. The talents were given to those slaves according to their several abilities. But when it comes to Christian work and, and reaching people with the gospel, feeding them the word of God and so on, yeah, sure, we all get... Um, I, I, What I get is not what someone else gets or entrusted with, shall I say, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it depends on our abilities. But who gives us our abilities in the first place? God. God. He gives us the abilities and he gives us the, the, the talents. And I don't mean, so by talents I'm talking about Christian service here. Ways in which, ways and opportunities to glorify God in our Christian lives. According to our God-given abilities. And that, you can broaden that. That would apply in secular life as well. Whatever your calling is in, in, in life, you have opportunities to glorify God in whatever it is that you are doing in life. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Whatever return there is on what Jesus entrusts to his redeemed belongs to him as well. Just as in the parable, the, the, the profit on those talents, it belonged to the master, not to the slaves. And whatever return there is, whatever profit there is in what we do as unprofitable servants belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the two good and faithful servants in the parable, they are honoured and privileged. You are honoured and privileged as a Christian um, to be in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ and zealous for good works, having been redeemed from all iniquity, whereas the pretenders, and there are a few pretenders in the church, it has to be said, The pretenders will inevitably offer all manner of lame excuses for their inactivity and for doing nothing in service to Jesus. And don't don't get me wrong, Jesus doesn't need any of us to do anything for him. And we're going to see more about this as we make progress through chapter 25. What I'm talking about here is fruit and evidence of being truly saved. (coughs) Jesus entrusts his ministers, evangelists and all of his redeemed with opportunities and various ways in which we serve him for his glory. And we are redeemed and purified and zealous for good works 
in his service. Finally, let's remember that even though the Lord Jesus Christ as God is the master and owner of everyone and everything, there was nevertheless a time when he made himself of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a bondservant or slave. I mentioned that this morning. I was probably getting my thoughts muddled up with this evening. But Jesus, there was a time in history when he came into this world as a bondservant. I'm avoiding using the word slave here. Made himself of no reputation. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In so doing, though Jesus was rich, Dear Christian, I'm talking about the Christians. Though Jesus was rich, yet for your sakes, all of you who are yoked to him, he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich, spiritually rich. And now as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a work ready at your hand. Tis a task the master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding, Yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Amen.